So, kind of based on that quick conversation that was going on, I have a topic Aww. that just jumped into my brain. Yeah. Things you didn't expect to learn while being a musician? Gas. Huh. Gear acquisition syndrome is delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our experiences with it and opinions it's regarding gas. It's a hell yeah. of a drug. Ryan and I were just talking about sound mixers, and uh, I, I, I watched as Daniel's eyes glazed over. I imagine that is a topic that he loves oh so much. It's, you know, it's pretty sexy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I have opinions on mixers. But, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it doing music stuff. You got to learn. Yeah. Daniel has a digital mixer. I do. It is It is petite. Uh, but it's it's not my, you it's know, little. love, mm -hmm. at least when it comes to, you know, gear nerding out. Oh. I do have a respect for a good mixer and understand the need for a really good mixer. But, I mean... I approach mixers the same way I approach cars. If it gets me from point A to point B, that, yeah. <laughs> I I am fine. I am fine if it gets me there. So your effect there, Daniel, as you're proposing gas and gear acquisition, um, it's the inherent life cycle of a musician. Um, but uh, this is where I'm going to be on my high pedestal. You are in the right chair for it today. Yes, I <sighs> I've got a cow chair. That's it's a bouncy cow chair. It's a bouncy cow chair that overlooks the rest but. of these degenerates. Um, I went through the phase, you know, as you guys probably did as well, being like, oh, that you're the family friend or the friend or whoever who does music. So you tip, you accumulate a lot of things. Um, Ryan, I'm looking at you. Rude. <laughs> Um, not, not, not necessarily good things, but you know, things. If, so, if they're like, Hey, we're clearing out a garage. Here's, we things. got a base. You play music. Do you want it? We're just have our garbage. Yeah. Ba essentially. It's like, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I had that phase where just, you know, accumulating a lot of stuff and then, you know, moving cross country. I've done that a couple of times. Definitely helps to cat. Uh, catalog what you actually have and then also what you actually use because I think I went before I move I think I had like 14 or 15 various guitars and basses you know acoustics and you know, electrics and all this stuff and I just looked at them and like I said they're not bad I'm not gonna say they're bad like instruments but it's just like I don't play these mm. I don't use these mm. so I really dialed back and Really, I think I went down to, I think, three total. I went from, like, 14 or something to three. Because mm. it's like, and I'm like, okay, I'm only going to keep the good stuff, but also the good stuff that I have a use for. Mm. And, you know, the other ones can find homes elsewhere. So, you know, yeah, I had friends, you know, you know gave, them to, gave them to, gave them to, I gave, became the person giving them to friends. Uh, I think, Ryan, you took, you turned, I think, an old P-Bass into, like, some weird bastardized project. I was trying to make an electric cello, but a fretted electric cello out of a P-Bass and a guitar. It was it, it came out really interesting, but, you know, definitely I think you, you approached it, which is actually awesome. You approached Aww. it in, like, the functional sense. Like, oh, these are the pieces that it needs. I, I will do that. In hindsight, you know, knowing what we know now, I'm sure... The all the fractions and actual measurements 
were effed. Like they had no like the intonation probably was unusable. Like it did the thing. Yeah, I'm not sure how well I was able to get that intonation working. I think I was able to make it work, but maybe not. Maybe I was just a totally ignorant. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, well, yeah, which is you know, which is totally fine. But um, yeah, so like I got rid of a bunch of stuff that I just didn't use and didn't play, and I kind of have that approach now. I mean, granted, I've accumulated some more stuff, but also my bar on what I actually. I look at the instruments and I look at, you know, amps. I look at the the p- actual pieces of gear as a function. Um, uh, you know, that being said, I'm also a giant pedal nerd. I love pedals. I will collect pedals. I'm looking across the room at pedals right now in Ryan's home studio. No, but the thing Don't is, though, pedals. you're trying to take them. Yeah. Don't take my pedals. <laughs> but no, like those those are actually on their way out. I think. Yeah, and they're like, well, I'll, I'll hit you up on what. You know, Ooh. what you don't use. Yeah, same um, here. But, but I, use, y- I use logic effects more times than not anyhow. And the, the hard part is I just like looking at them, I think. I like using them. They are, no, they are cool to look at, too, and I think. Uh, but they, they do go into, like, okay, well, what will I use this for? Mm. What is this for? I also recently, semi-recently, um, you know, jumped over, you know, with uh, Daniel, which I'm sure you'll probably talk about this in a minute, over on the Helix train. Because... I wanted to be able to reliably have a digital version of my analog boards that I can just grab and go. Mm-hmm. And But the thing is, that was the function for it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do it to replace what I have analog-wise, which honestly, in maybe a couple of years, maybe it does, as scary as that you know thought to myself is. But it's like, okay, what purpose does this piece of gear serve? Um I love basses also. I'm jumping around a little bit, but I know that you. I want to give you guys some chances to talk. Um, but I think, yeah, gas is something I feel passionate about because... You experience it? I experience it, but I also, <laughs> I work, you know, the, well, in a re, uh, se, you know, semi-music retail Oh, that's the worst. Because it's already right in front of your face all so, the yeah. time. But, but also, too, I think... And you get discounts. I think also having that approach to it. It's like, okay, what purpose does this serve? How could I use it? It does put me in a, um, you know, scenario where I can try the stuff. If there's something online, you know, there's videos and stuff. People obsess over videos all day on on the internet. I can just check it out in person. There were a couple of pedals that I picked. I'm like, oh, this looks so cool. This is so cool. This will be so great. I try it and go, not that it's bad. It's just, oh, this is not exactly what I thought it was. And honestly, I've got something else that covers this bass. Well, honestly, my version of that is uh, Sweetwater because it's just down the it's just down the road. It's just there, right? Yeah, it's just there. Um, but but by there I mean like several hours away. But I was gonna say you and I have very different definitions, definitions of, of just down there. The of road. just there. <laughs> shout out! Shout out to my England friends for everything that is just there, regardless of how many miles away it is. Naturally. Well, <laughs> um, I, I mean, the thing is that that does bode for, you know, the Midwest also. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but the uh, but yeah, the nice thing with Sweetwater is they have a massive synth selection in their showroom. And nerd. Yep. But it means it's like a giant gear strip club where I can go and try out all the synths. I suppose gear brothel might make a little more sense. I was going to say, I think gear brothel. Uh, but I don't like that connotation that it has. You just get and, to, and I also don't think you should be left alone in those rooms. Just wash your hands, Ryan. They were sticky before I got there. But the, uh, but yeah, no, you get to go and try out all the synths and just to see what, 
like to see what's good and what's overhyped and what's underhyped and you know just get to get it all out on the front end which is so nice because then i can be like oh no i don't have to lust after that anymore it's great yeah um, um but yeah no, but it's kind of you know jumping from pedals to effects to amps you know what purpose do they serve but also bases um outside of jesus coyote i do a lot of contracting stuff so i have to be able to wear a bunch of different hats and i have to be able to make a bunch of different sounds but they have to be specific sounds yeah um i will always fight you know searching going to buy your first bass or your first like work like workhorse bass mm-hmm. fender all day long I'm, w- I'm waiting for my sponsorship please and thank you <laughs> actually no i'm waiting for my sponsorship from bumblebee tuna that's what i really want yum, the snack the snack be- the snack packs are delicious uh, <laughs> but any anyways uh you know a precision bass or a jazz bass boom you will be able to do 80 percent of the gigs on those or recordings because they have the sound they are workable in a mix with other people they are i'm not gonna say they're simple but they're rock solid yeah. they you know the design they got it right it's like yep this is what a bass should do this is what it should sound like this is how it plays with other people go to town yeah granted you know I have a five string. I've got, you know, which, you know, for the gigs that I need that low B, I have to, I have to do that. Um, maybe different tunings. Um, then that's where I'd be like, okay, maybe this is a good thing to invest in a different tool. But that's how I'm kind of gotten to the point of maturing being like, oh, gear, what function do they serve? What tool, like what kind of a tool is it? Mm-hmm. So I like to think that I'm outside of the, you know, gas, you know, in the position that I'm in. But, you know, there's always a new cool thing coming out. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess that's probably what I'm going to try to add to the conversation here is my experience with gas has been this very identifiable cycle Mm. of it starts off where you have, hey, there's this new thing I'm interested in exploring. Maybe it's guitars, maybe it's amps, maybe it's pedals, maybe it's synths. And you think, ooh, I'm interested in this. And then you go out, and in your fervor, you go and you buy a bunch of stuff. Or you go and you work with a bunch of stuff. You want to play with it. You want to try it out. And that's where you start to actually learn. Of, oh, these are the categories. This is what the different things do. And that's kind of where you reach your peak of I have just enough information where I have this idea of what I want, but I still want to explore some things. And that's where you really go out and buy a bunch of stuff. That's that's the sweet spot almost. That's Oh, that's the gear acquisition sweet spot where, you know, if it shows up on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and it is somewhere within that vague wheelhouse of what you're looking for, you're going to pick it up and you're going to try it. Yeah. And then you come to what you're talking about, Joe, which is the utility point. Of, yeah, I know what I want at this point. I know what I'm looking for and what I need. And then you go into the sell-off. Yep. Of, <laughs> I have all of this excess gear now that I want to get rid of. It's the life cycle. And then you come down, and then at some point you realize, all right, this is my rig. This is the setup that I have. This is what I like to work with. And you're at your low point until you find your new interest of, oh, I want to go start looking at that now microphones sound really really cool and then kick the uh cycle off all over again or at least i know that's definitely been my experience 
started acoustic guitars. I went through that exact thing. Then it went into electric guitars and amps. Mm-hmm. Went through that. Then it went through pedals, and it went through that. And now I have... I'm on the downslope of the rigs in total where it's like, <laughs> all right, I need to sell off a bunch of stuff that I'm not using because it's just collecting or, or, dust. Or that you need to start picking up drums. That that's ah. I'm waiting. At some point, something else is going to come through, and I'm going to think, oh, now I want to go buy. It's going to be synthesizers, and you know it. I, it it probably will be. Um, the December is even what the synthesizers. I know. I'm just slowly like backtracking Colin Malloy by like 15 to 20 years. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but, I was also thinking with and same thing with his reading list. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh no, that's way oh way past that. Um. But that's also an interesting thing. The Helix is something that I picked up several years ago uh, because I was in a cover band that at the time had plans to do a lot more gigging, a lot more festival stuff, a lot more high-end things, and it wanted to replicate exact sound more. So for that, that's where you go to the drawing board. Like, okay, how do I, what checks all those boxes? Correct. And it was, oh, all right. This is the easiest, most compact, most reliable way I can consistently. too. Yeah. I can consistently make these sounds over and over and over again and also change them up if anything new is thrown at me without having to buy extra pieces of gear. And that changed things up a lot for me because it allowed it allowed me to do a lot more experimentation within and, the box. Yeah, and I think it's an eye-opener, too, to where you're like, oh, this might be all I need. Yeah, which is definitely made for, all right, now I can downsize some of all of the utility stuff that I have. Um especially when it comes to things like, you know, compressors, gates, um, those kind of pedals. <laughs> the less fun pedals. Yeah, uh, I'm not even going to say less fun because I do have a compressor that I love, that I will sing the praises of day in, day out. It is one of my absolute favorite pedals. I just unfortunately don't have a place for it right now, but I'm not going to sell it because I love it that much. Yeah. Um, and that that's actually a great springboard into uh, into what I have to add, which is being real. All right. Well, also too, I think you're gonna have a not not a different take. For those that aren't aware, we <laughs> do have these recordings out of uh, Mr. Caldwell's home professional studio. Yay! It where has he clients. records cl- various clients. Yeah. And is required to have you know I'd I'd say various pieces of gear in order to track and record clients. Absolutely. And did you know that 10% of my recording gear does 90% of the work here? And you, too, <laughs> can book your sessions at Bird Garden Studios. And you can see the 90% of the gear that does 10% of the work. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. Well, and that's, that's honestly the hardest thing with the recording studio grind is that you always have this like suspicion in the back of your head well you have two suspicions that are always competing one of which is that oh i need that thing for i don't know what but i might need it and i'm going to be very upset if i sell it and don't have it when i need it and that's like the one voice and then you have the other voice being like yeah but you haven't used that in six years and i'm pretty sure you're not going to use it for another six it's taking up space and it's not paying rent on that space it's taking up so are you happy supporting that gear freeloading on your like on your dime? It, you got to think of it like children, right? It's like, am I cool? Do I like that kid enough to have him li- live here for like the rest of my life? Recording studios are definitely in the realm of you're allowed to pick favorite children. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of 
I guess that's how I've been looking at it. So there's a bunch of gear around here, and honestly, I would love to sell it, but the hard part is finding the time to sell it, right? It's one of those things that's fairly low on my priority list because it's, I don't think I'm going to be making enough per hour working on selling it to justify spending the hour I could be spending mixing or editing or something like that or with a client selling the gear. So that's kind of the – that's a little bit of the rub. Honestly, sounds, I'm like – sounds sounds to me like somebody needs to do some cataloging. Yeah, right. No, but I need to go and uh, – the, the thing I really want to try is just have a gear-like yard sale at some point in time. Be like, the annual Bird Garden Studios gear relinquishing sale. Honestly, Libraries have it all the time. Yeah. Right? Honestly, um, also, too, you know, not saying specifically guitar shows, but just get a booth at a, at a, um, at a guitar show or a uh, gear – yeah, they've got them all around, and just go and sell a bunch of my stuff there. Yeah. Well, because people like you, you're, you're looking for things online, and you see the thing that you were looking for, and you buy the thing you wanted. But that doesn't cover all the gear that you didn't know you wanted, or that I can convince you that you want. <laughs> um, and which is, I have a bunch of that, just a bunch of like rack gear that I never use or touch. That's just hiding, you know, drum parts, just a bunch of random stuff. And sometimes it comes in handy. Um, but fighting those hoarding impulses is difficult. But the other thing, the other side of it is the acquisition itself, the actual gas, which I find those to be two different things <laughs> because the gas is the thought that if I just get blank, it will make my music better, which I find is a, like, as you were saying, you get, ed you educate yourself in it. And then that kind of diminishes as you actually solve the problem you had. Instead of just kind of chasing uh, like this fantasy of what you think something will do for you, you realize the place it actually fits in your life and start to mm -hmm. hone in on it. Um, but like I was saying before, the kind of magic to your guys' approach is the you, it's the acquisition and the culling. You have to have you know the gazinta and the gazauta. Yeah, to Gaz go and gazintite. <laughs> but you have to have that to really make it make that work. Um, and honestly, I think that the education the education is the most important part because eventually you just realize that, oh, I just need to fix this problem, box to fix the problem, problem solved, moving on with my life. Now time to go and use the thing. But we have all been skirting, we have all been skirting the elephant in the room, which is the horrors of gear acquisition syndrome because we are all, you know, to varying degrees, fairly responsible with our gear, Right. We're buying it. We're not going and buying excess stuff. We're not going and just spending piles and piles of money chasing the perfect rig. Um, but it is not like we don't know people who are afflicted with that. I know several people <laughs> who are heavily, if not maybe terminally, afflicted with that because it is such an easy trap to fall into, especially if you are in the kind of like prosumer hobbyist stage of what you're doing. If, you, if you're doing something, like, full-time or really, if, if you're being very pro about it, you don't, for one, you don't have the capital to blow on that shit. And two, you end up going and using it, using any of the things you get enough to where you start to build up a relationship with the, with the gear you're using. And you figure out yeah, what you, you like yeah, and what you, you don't like you very quick. You recognize the functionality of it, and then you yeah. look at it as a tool. And you also don't have time to just be drooling over, like, you know, gear that's coming out online as much. At least I, that's how I find it. I'm, yeah. I don't know the current synth landscape as well as I did five, six, seven years ago because I have synths. And I am not wa left wanting because of the synths I have. Yeah. I don't need more synths. 
I, you know, could I use a bunch of gear? Oh, sure. I could use upgrades for, like, tons of my stuff. But do I need it? Eh, everything's working pretty good. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's not like I'm going to make more money, you know, by having the nicer gear. So it's like, why spend, why invest there? But it's those, it's those people who go and get into that obnoxious cycle of, oh, this is going to go and give me that thing I want. I'm going to be able to fill that dark, gaping hole inside of me. You never can. Yeah, right? Which you don't. You, you don't fill that hole. You, you go and you can make it smaller with therapy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you know don't don't tell me what to do <laughs> but yeah that's the that's unfortunately the reason why gear acquisition syndrome even though everyone jokes about it it's it's a real thing it's like it's a it's a it's kind of a gambling addiction yeah I, I was yeah. just about to say that it's very similar to i think if you're prone to like you know gambling if uh if if tiny free cell phone games go and rip all of your money away from you don't start buying gear <laughs> no <laughs> well and i think there's also a plus side to that aspect um, that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, fueling the fueling the synth manufacturers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the end of the day, you know, as much as we have been talking about, you know, you know, these as you know tools, they there is a specific goal they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, we need to remember that the verbiage we use is you play music. Mm-hmm. These are also toys. That yeah. you get to play with and you get to you, have fun. You're not with. directly saving anybody's life. It is no. It is a very it is a very strange like line to have to draw with that because it is very fluid. Yeah. <laughs> and so the idea is, you know, sometimes if this new box or if this new thing is going to make you play your instrument more or work on your recordings more or have to, more fun with what it is you are doing. It needs to inspire you. Yeah, it might be worth it. Something might not fill a new niche or a new tool that you need, but if it inspires you, that in and of itself, you know, there's something to be said for it. Flip side of that coin yeah. is if that's the only thing that's inspiring you is Yikes. the new toy, then you may be into some difficult terrain. Or, or even worse, if that's inspiring you, but you are only milking that for its novelty, right? Yeah. And, like, gotta love novelty, but at the end of the day... All the novelty comes and goes and that sort of thing, and you can end up spending way too much money doing so. Yeah, I, there was a it was an interesting. Um, so through through my work, uh, we were very lucky to talk and uh, talk with a uh, one of the larger U.S. based boutique pedal companies, and flat out they said that their um, uh, what's the word their statement essentially as a company it's like as a you know as a pedal manufacturer we want to build products that do two things one serve a purpose and maybe you know a functional purpose where hey maybe this replaces something that you're already using so like hey we want to offer that or two inspire it's like hey if you've got you know this might be a weird effect yeah but how does it make you play music how does it make you play your instrument how does it like inspire you to create that's actually that and that's a huge flip side because it's i mean that is one of the best parts about gear and these tools and playing with them in general is that you only you can only go and use the colors that you have used before that you know of right Mm -hmm. so you have to do that sort of sonic exploration to even have the the stuff to work with right you only know the tricks you have and you just have to go and let yourself experiment with things to make that happen it's really hard to prioritize that because you're not getting paid directly for it but you are being paid directly for it. 
I was thinking about that as a producer. Like, yeah, I don't spend enough time going and sitting down and just messing around with stuff and, like, innovating. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is, like, you get paid for, like, people use you specifically to go and, like, for the things you bring to the table that no one else has. And the only way to get those things is by patient sonic experimentation. So if you're making a name for yourself long term, you're going to be drawing on those things. So it kind of behooves you to experiment with as many different tools as possible, stay up to date on the current tech, right? I know producers who are like maybe a decade older than me who don't have like expertise in a bunch of tools that I have, you know, that I've adopted just because they haven't tried. Yeah. Yeah. And I probably fall into that category with a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of things that I'd have no experience with and no use for because I'm like, that's stupid. And then just didn't want to spend the time and energy into it. So, yeah, that is, I suppose, a pro-gas argument. Is that wrap it up? I was going to say, anybody got anything else to say? I actually feel like I, I, I've said all I need to say about gas. And this has been Coyote Bites <laughs> with your hosts, Ryan, Daniel, and Joe. Uh, <coughs> looking forward to hearing you next time. <laughs>